Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. If you could just stand out of honor and respect for the word and everybody who's there, say amen. Amen. Awesome. Just about everybody's there, so I will go ahead and start reading. I am reading from the King James Version. All my scriptures will be in King James. So if anybody doesn't understand, um, I'll explain it to you. (laughs) So Ephesians 6, uh, verses 10 through 13 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Amen? Amen? Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand. Everybody say stand. Against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Everybody understands that we do not, as the church, we're not in spiritual battle against mortal men. We're in spiritual battle against the principalities, against the rulers of the darkness, against the spiritual uh, entities in our area. In verse 13, to end it off, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand, everybody say withstand, in the evil day and having done all to stand. Say stand one more time. Stand, stand. amen, amen. So uh, today I uh, wanted to, um, you know, I, I really felt it important. I was telling pastor that, uh, actually pastor and sister Calhoun, um, just this morning before church started that I, I, I felt this just really, really heavy on my heart. So, um, you know, I, I'm just praying that God will help me to deliver it with clarity, with uh, fluidity, just so that we can understand it, okay? So today I, I want to talk to you about being suited and booted. Yeah. <laughs> being suited and booted. So we'll, everybody can be seated. We'll go ahead and pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. We thank you and honor you, God, for all that you do in our lives. We thank you for bringing us together. Help us to be in one mind and one accord. Open our hearts and our minds to receive your word, and I pray that you would anoint it, anoint your word as it leaps off the pages and becomes a living organism, and help us to grow from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Man, I was hoping Dan was going to be here to help me out with this one. No, that's okay. Um, so being suited and booted. I know that that was kind of a kind of a crazy title. Actually, um, you know, I yesterday I was I was talking with uh, one of my coworkers. He's he's kind of new. He's our mortgage banker. He's from L.A. and uh, his parents are from Mexico. So he's been, you know, while you guys are helping me learn Spanish here at church, he's been helping me learn Spanish at work. So <laughs> so I'm I'm trying, but but he is such a cool guy. I have so much um, so much appreciation for this guy. You know, he came in and I introduced myself to him on the first day, you know, hey, I'm Reese, I'm, I'm the banker here, I'll be, we'll be business partners, I'll be helping you out, you know, whatever. And the first thing I saw when I walked into his office, he had this, um, this plaque, or kind of like a plaque, it was, it was like this big, and it was sitting on his desk, it was the first thing he took out of his, uh, of his, like, briefcase, you know, he's fixing his office, took it out, set it down right behind his, there's like a back credenza, set it right behind him, and it said, the Lord gives me strength to stand. And it said Ephesians, you know, 6, I think it was Ephesians 6.13 when it talks about having done all to stand. And it said, the Lord gives me strength to stand. And I took note of that, like, day one. So right away, you know, you're thinking, oh, this guy, you know, 
he's a believer. So um, we got to talking. Actually, in that first day, he just kind of shared with me some of the things that that he had gone through in his life and the church that he came from in L.A. And he's actually, you know, still looking for a church. So we were just kind of talking. And, and yesterday, um, I, I just felt like we were both at work. We worked till noon on Saturday. So yesterday I really felt like just kind of sharing with him what I was feeling. You know, it's, it was one of those like that just sits so heavy on you that as a minister, you got to kind of, you know, share with people kind of throughout the week just because it's, it's, it's so heavy. But um, I was talking to him and, and this is what he said. I just wanted to kind of relate to you some of the things that he said. He, we were talking about world issues, you know, talking about the things going on, North Korea, all that stuff. We don't have to get into that, but we were talking about all the things going on. And this is what he said. He said, I believe that God is positioning the church for greatness. And I, I stopped him right there. I was like, man, I don't know about you, but I feel the Holy Ghost. <laughs> uh, but so he, he said that to me. And, and he also talked about the, and this was really profound to me, the attacks that the United States church is under. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier today. We don't see people get drug out of the church and executed like some other places in the world where that happens. We don't, you know, have the government come down on us and, and make us denounce the Bible and spit on it and rip it up and whatever. We don't go through that. We're extremely blessed to be able to gather together in freedom and liberty in this wonderful country and to be able to worship our God with, with, with spiritual authority and, and be able to just magnify his name. We're blessed. But some other places in the world are not so blessed. So he, he was talking about some of the attacks on the, on the church, and I got to say, this guy is spiritually dialed in. The guy prays all the time at work on lunch. He'll be praying, be reading his Bible. He, you know, he, he's, he's just very spiritual. And, and what he was talking about is how the enemy comes in and tries to fool the North American church. We don't see physical attacks we see mental and spiritual attacks. We see attacks on logic. We see attacks on, on the word, on misconstruing what the word of God is really saying. And, and, he, and then he said, so the, the sermon title, this is what he said, word for word. The United States church, everybody in the church, every believer has to be suited and booted and ready for anything that comes our way. And that... It, it hit me so deep in, the, in, in my spirit because it's so true. And that's what we see in Ephesians. That's, that's what's going on. So there's, there's a call that Paul is, is showing the church that, yeah, we have some armor. God's given us some spiritual protection. And, and, and we have to be ready. We have to stand firm on the word of God. And we have to stand firm on the promises of God. And knowing that he's going to provide for us and he's going to win the victory. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you read the end of Revelations, God wins. <laughs> we don't have to worry about who's going to win because we already know that God wins. So today, I, I, I really truly believe that, that God has just revealed how important it is to be ready, especially in the days that we live. 
to be ready for whatever life throws at us, to be ready for whatever the enemy throws at us, but most important, to be ready when Jesus comes back. So before we get to all that, I do have some background information for you. Um, In order to suit up in the armor of God, just like with any military excursion, in order to to suit up and be ready for battle, first you have to be, you have to enter the military, right? You have to enlist as a soldier. You have to enlist in the army and the National Guard. We all know this, right? You have to go and enlist, okay? Before you suit up in the spiritual sense, you have to enlist in God's army. Before you put on the armor of God, There has to be a moment in your life where Acts 2.38 becomes alive. You have to go through the Acts 2.38 message. And what is that? Uh, I I know we probably all know it, but I'm going to read it anyways because it's so powerful. Because there's some people, there there were Jews that were in the upper room that had realized that they had crucified the Messiah. They had realized the sin that they had committed. And they asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? They knew there was blood on their hands. So then Peter stands up in the midst of everybody. Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then I know I didn't give this one to you, but then it goes on to say, for the promises unto you, to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This was not a message just for that church in that particular time on that day. This is a message for the church till the end of time. You have to repent. You have to be baptized in Jesus' name. You have to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking in tongues, in order to put on the armor of God, in order to be under that spiritual protection we have to follow the salvation message. And that, the, the, receiving the Holy Ghost and, and being baptized in Jesus' name and daily repentance allows us to live and walk in such a way that we can fulfill the statutes that God has laid in front of us, that God has asked us to follow. But that's, how, that's where it begins. That's the enlistment process. Repent and be baptized in Jesus' name. Evidence of, and receiving the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking in tongues. That is, if you can say there's a prerequisite, that would be it. (laughs) To be born again enables you to put on the armor of God because when God's spirit is in you, you begin to take on his characteristics. And there are some pieces of the armor. Actually, all of the armor is, are characteristics of God. You have righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. You have truth, your loins girt about with truth. You have peace. You have the helmet of salvation. You have the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. It's, they're all characteristics of the God that we serve. So in order to put on the armor, you first have to have God living inside of you. Actually, this was pretty insane. Isaiah 59, 17 shows God wearing the armor. Isaiah 59, 17 says, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. God is wearing the armor. 
And he's giving it to us as the church to put it on and to be protected and to be ready for whatever that this world, whatever the enemy throws at us, and also to be ready for his second coming. If God's wearing the armor, I sure want to be wearing the armor too. <laughs> you see the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation in Isaiah 59, 17. But I want to ask you and I want to answer what can anybody just rattle off the uh I know I pretty much did but can anybody just rattle off the the armor of God Who wants to do it? I'm going to give you the mic. This is not the scripture exactly, but you have the helmet of salvation, you have your feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace, you have your loins girt about with the truth, you have the breastplate of righteousness, you have the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. The sword of the spirit's the word, shield of faith, uh, quenches the fiery darts of the enemy, and the Lord is your rear guard. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. That is it. Dead on. We will um, talk about each of those pieces shortly. Isaiah, or I'm sorry, not Isaiah, but uh, the, the word, I was getting ahead of myself. The, the word that I asked you to, to say, um, to repeat after me, um, does anybody remember what that was in the opening text? Stand, stand, okay. So stand um, is a very interesting word, especially in this context, because when you're getting ready for battle, you don't think that, okay, I'm going to, you know, bust out my M16, I'm going to put on my bulletproof vest, my helmet on, and got to get my boots up, I'm going to get suited and booted, and then just stand there. <laughs> In our minds, logically, it doesn't make sense, right? So when you break down the actual scripture reference, and this is um, you know, just something that, that I mention in youth a lot, is that it's so important to study the word, not just read it. Because a lot of times you can just read, I mean, think about it when you're reading a book in school, you can just read it and not understand what it's saying. You, know, you can just gloss over it. You can do the same thing in the scripture. So you have to study. The Bible says study to show yourself approved. A workman need to not be ashamed. You know, that scripture. So it's so important to take scripture, break it down, look at how it was originally written. Look at the words that it was originally written in. Because this word stand that we're talking about is a Greek word. And I'm, you know me, I got a Southern accent, so I can't do an, a, a Greek accent. But the word is, it's pronounced histami. Which, is, which means, and it's a little different than stand, it means to stand ready or to be steadfast. So it gives a little bit different connotation because we think, you know, stand, okay, I'm just going to stand here. But in reality, what it's getting at is to stand ready. I heard um, on K-Love that there was, actually they read this scripture and, and gave a diff, like a different kind of way to look at it and the guy was like a coach, and he was talking about standing and standing ready being, if, it, who, who in here plays sports? If for school or even pleasure or whatever. There, there's a thing called an athletic stance, right? Where you're just ready. And it's pretty similar in baseball, football, basketball. You know, it's knees bent a little bit, shoulders square. You're kind of ready for for anything that's going to happen. That's really what this word is getting at. It's being suited up and then standing steadfast, ready, feet planted, 
holding the ground. That's really what it's getting at, which is so cool because um, Paul, in writing this to the Ephesians, did not tell them, get suited and booted and then go look for a fight. That's not what Paul was saying. And I don't believe that's what God wants us to do either. When we're talking about the armor of God and, and standing, one, God just didn't give us the armor to go looking for a fight, but also the armor, armor in the sense is defensive, right? We have one offensive weapon, which is the sword of the spirit or the word of God. The rest of it is all defensive armor. You know, I want to show you, I love this story. It cracks me up. It probably shouldn't, but it's funny to me. It's Acts 19. <laughs> if anybody knows what happens in Acts 19, you might know where I'm going. But <laughs> So Acts 19, 13. Um, there are these guys, these Jews. Uh, it calls them vagabond Jews um, or, you know, guys that are kind of doing their own thing. They, they like to think of themselves as ex exorcists. So they would go around and try and exorcise demons. So the, and it was like seven brothers, right? So the seven brothers are like coming up and they're like trying to exorcise everybody all over the place, you know, get, get out of here, demons. But what's funny about this is uh, what they say, okay? So it says, then certain of the vagabond Jews exorcists took upon them to call over them. So one thing, when it says they took upon them, they, they're basically taking matters into their own hands. That's what this is really saying. So they're taking matters into their own hands. They're going to do this on their own, really. So they took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, okay? Saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. What's wrong with that? Does anybody know what's wrong with that statement? What's wrong with it? Right, it is. So they're not, for one, they're not commanding these devils to leave. They're adjuring. It's like, it's like me if I say, hey, buddy, you're a demon, okay? Hey, buddy, if, uh, could I just ask you to move on? You know, could, can you maybe go over here and... and dwell in somebody else, you know, leave this guy alone. Like, that's really what it was. But the second thing, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. So this insinuates they have no relationship with Jesus. <laughs> they have no relationship with God at all, okay? Because they're saying, okay, I know the name Jesus, but it's the guy who Paul preaches about, you know? It's, so it's almost like a third person, like, I don't know Jesus, but I know this guy who knows Jesus, that's really what they're saying. So this is insane. Look at what happens to them. So this says there were seven of them, and it kind of tells who they were, where they're from. So go to the next one. And the evil, this is funny, okay? This is funny. And the evil spirit answered and said, yeah, I know who Jesus is, and I know who Paul is, but who are you? Who are you? I know those two guys. They scare the mess out of me but I don't know who you are. What's crazy is that these, these people, these, these seven brothers take upon themselves to do something that God never asked them to do. They take upon themselves to go looking for a fight. They're like, all right, yeah, we know who Jesus is. We know what he does. We'll see if we can take on some, take on some devils. 
They never took time to get suited and booted. They never took time to build a relationship with Jesus. So what happens to them? After the devil says, who are you? This is what happened. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them. So they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So these guys got whooped like bad. The two principles that I can, you know, kind of pull out of this is one, don't go looking for a fight. Two, know the God you serve. Know who Jesus is. Know him in the power of his might. But don't go looking for a fight, people. I mean, come on. <laughs> so if the armor is defensive, what you can ensue then is that God is the offensive force. God is the one who goes before us and wins victory. God is the one who, who wins all of the battles, not us. We're defensive. We hold the ground. When God gives territory, like in Brookfield, we're planting a church here. Pastor has been working in his family for four years, right? Four? Fifth? We're on the fifth year, right? Awesome. Has been working. God has given territory, and now it's our job to be suited and booted. It's our job to hold the ground. We hold the line. We don't go looking for fights. If everybody was going to look for a different fight, there'd be no unity. There would be ample opportunity for the enemy to punch through the line that, that we're supposed to create. And then you become a, a, a church that falls apart. And that's not what we're about. That's, that's not what God has asked us to do. We hold the line. God is the one who wins victory. So I want to go to, I want to just give you a couple examples. So Deuteronomy 1, 29 through 31 says, Then I said unto you, dread not, neither be afraid of them. This is God speaking. The Lord your God goeth before you. He shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where thou hast seen now that the Lord thy God bare thee as a man doth bear his son in all the way that ye went until ye came unto this place. What this scripture is saying is, hey, don't worry about the fight. God's got it. It even says that in the wilderness, God was the one who carried the children of Israel like a man carries his child. God was the one who, who brought them into new places. But he also goes before, wins the victory, prepares the way. He makes straight the path so that then when the army of God comes through, we can walk on a straight and narrow path and then hold the line and allow God to just do his thing. We hold the ground as believers, clad in the armor of God. Now, uh, Isaiah when Isaiah saw the Lord in the temple, high and lifted up, the Bible says Isaiah saw God's train filled the temple. Train equals victory. The longer the train in that time, the more victory the king had won. We all, I'm sure most of us know this or have heard that preached before, but it wasn't, Isaiah didn't see his own train. Isaiah saw God's train. Isaiah saw the victory that God brings, not the victory that man brings. So when the scripture says stand, it is saying, stand ready, stand fast for anything that can come your way. You know, I was, uh, I talked to a friend of mine um, just last night, actually, that I graduated with, and he's in the army. I think he's a military police officer in um, Cuba, actually. Um, I was talking to him over Facebook, and we were just kind of chatting, and I asked him, so... 
he kind of thought this was a weird question, okay? And he's like, why are you so curious? So uh, <laughs> I asked him, um, if there was ever attack on your, if there was ever an attack on your military base where you're stationed at, what are you trained to do? I just, you know, just kind of asked him. And he's like, why are you so curious? And he texts me back and he's like, conspiracy theorist guy. And he's like, are you planning something? I was like, no, I'm, t- I'm preaching tomorrow. I just want to know, give me an answer. And then he said, he said in basic training, and I'm sure Dan can attest to this, but um, this was what I was going to ask Dan. But uh, in basic training, he was in Texas. Um, and he said that if there was ever anything that happened, that he's trained to be ready at all times. That's why you see military personnel walking around in fatigues and their boots all the time. All they got to do is throw on the helmet, bulletproof vest, gun, they go. They're ready, right? And that's, that's kind of what he was explaining to me is that on his military base, they are like, and, and they're in Cuba, right? So that's like, we haven't been able to go there for how many years, right? Since the Cuban Missile Crisis. So, so things are kind of tense there. Um, and and that's, that's what he's trying to do is keep his guard up. Just be ready. You know, even if nothing happens, just to be ready. So um, in the scripture, we're asked to do the same thing, to keep our guard up. Now, I, I wanted to take a moment and just kind of, I guess, reveal something, right, that the enemy uses, okay? I think I was telling pastor before um, service, it is extremely important that we understand what the enemy uses in his attacks against the church. If we don't understand, we're ignorant. And ignorant is not, you know, we use it as a negative term, but all it means is unlearned. We don't understand. We're ignorant to the things that he does, and that can cause us to fall as a church body. So there's a a saying that I came across, and it was by uh, David Bernard. Uh, I wrote it down here. It says, ignorance to evil is something the enemy is using to lull the believer into false security. Nowadays, There's a, lot of, there's, a, there's a lot of movements going on in the church that, um, that again, I, I, I want to be really careful the way I say this, but there are a lot of movements going on that lull us into complacency, right? They, they cause us to drop our guard. That's a dangerous place to be in the spiritual realm when your guard drops <laughs> because there are things that can come against you even just life. If life comes against you and you're not ready, you feel absolutely blindsided and don't know what you're doing. You go into a panic, right? Same thing can happen spiritually. Right. So there, there are movements, I won't go into detail, but there are movements going on, you know, the uh, positive thinking theology, um, you know, just think good thoughts and everything will be okay. You'll go to heaven, right? There's universal theology, which says everybody's going to go to heaven anyways. So why worry about it? Um, you know, there's uh, like prosperity doctrine that says if you live for God, You'll be rich and, you know, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Those are very dangerous theologies to buy into. The Bible says that in the last days, people are going to look for their ears to be tickled, right? Their ears, their itching ears. They're going to look for teachers that satisfy that. And, and what's happened is we've seen that 
in the church. We've seen people who can't accept, okay, I need to be baptized and I need to be filled with the Holy Ghost in order to go to heaven. So they just grab some teacher who says, oh, don't worry about it. You can live however you want to and you'll still go to heaven, right? That's very dangerous. Because what happens is it causes us to be complacent. And complacency or apathy just, it causes our guard to drop. And then the enemy's got you right where he wants you. He knows you're not a threat. He know, he's not even worried about you anymore. <laughs> he could care less. He's like, all right, they're good. Now move on to the next church, you know? And, and that's, that's such a scary place to be. But can I just tell you how important it is to be steadfast and ready for anything that happens, whether good or bad, we need to be ready because God is positioning the church so the enemy is working against the church. And we have to be ready for greatness where God's positioning us, but we also have to be ready for when the enemy comes. That was a little side note. So now I'll get back to my notes. But um, 2 Chronicles 20, that's where I wanted to go. 2 Chronicles 20. Moab and Ammon, I believe it's pronounced. Moab and Ammon invade Judah, okay? The king of Judah right at this point is uh, Jehoshaphat. Um, not Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat. Uh, and he, he was really scared of this enemy force coming in. And he didn't, he didn't think that, that the children of Israel could survive the attack. He was, the Bible actually says in um, Second Chronicles, uh, I think it's, like seven or eight, where it says that Jehoshaphat was afraid, that he was literally scared. Do you know what he did, though? He prayed. <laughs> he prayed. Whenever something f that comes against us that we might be scared of, that's what we do. We pray. So Jehoshaphat praise. He issues a fast in Judah, says, everybody's got to observe this fast. We're all going to get together and we're going to pray that God would deliver us. So the Bible says that everybody in all of Judah, and it even says like the, the, the fathers, the children, and the infants, like everybody was there at the house of the Lord. Everybody went to church that day. <laughs> and Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, um, prayed in the midst of everybody. It says that he, he stood on the, on the steps of the temple and prayed. And he, basically, his prayer was that God would deliver uh, Judah, that there was no way they could do this. But he calls on past, on the past. He says, God, you've seen us through before, and we're asking that you would do the same thing today. So after the prayer, God moves on a guy named uh, Jehaziel. It's right there, I think, on verse 14. Uh, yeah, that guy, Jehaziel, I guess. That's how you say it. Um, the son of Zechariah. Okay, so, so God moves on this dude. And then I, I, I want to read from 15 to 17. It says, and he said, and this is the Lord speaking, hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou king Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. You know, we, we have a tendency, it's, it's funny. Every time something happens in the scripture, people get scared, and one of the first things God ever says to people in the midst of something going on is be not afraid. Don't be scared. It says that so many times all throughout the Bible, 
be not afraid. Do not be afraid. You know, so, so that's, what, that's, that's kind of the message that God is giving them. For the battle is not yours, but God's. And then verse 16, it says, tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, uh, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. And then it says, ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. What a powerful message. What a, what a powerful word from God. You know, can I tell you that God always wins the victory? Always. When it comes to, to the armor, we have to be ready. Because this says, uh, uh, it says, set yourselves. Stand ye still. Set yourselves is the same thing as being ready. Just go and present yourself and stand firm and be ready and wait for the salvation of God. Because it's coming. But you know, there is, a, there is a, a, a caveat, I guess, is that when it comes to the armor, we cannot afford to miss even one piece. When it comes to the armor, we can't afford to miss one piece because that leaves us open and exposed. So I, I don't have time to go into each piece very detailed and it's a crazy awesome bible study if you really go through it and see what each each piece does um, and what it protects again it's amazing it'll make you pray the armor of god every day it really will which is something we should do anyways but we're covered from head to toe in spiritual armor and each piece does serve a specific purpose so i might um hmm, i might get a little bit creative here <laughs> Just, I'm not going to get off scripture, okay? Don't get me wrong. It's not going to be off scripture. Um, but I, I just take into account the history of when this is going on, right? The Ephesians was written in AD 64, AD 64. Roman Empire was in, you know, was, so I know if you Google search the armor of God, most of the time it comes up with Roman armor <laughs> because they ruled, right? So like when people think armor, that's what you think of, right? So uh, I'm going to explain it in kind of the, the Roman armor sense, okay? So they still do the same thing, but it might help just help you visualize it a little bit better, okay? Has anybody ever seen Roman armor? Yeah, it's very interesting. So we'll start, we'll just go in chronological order. So I will read the armor of God real quick. And then we'll talk about it. So it says uh, in Ephesians 6, 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then it also says this, which is probably the most important part. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We got to pray. You can't have the armor without prayer. It doesn't work. So we'll start. Loins girt about with truth or the belt of truth, as I call it, the belt of truth. So, um, Basically, the whole point of having a belt in 
okay, I'm going to use Roman terms. I'm going to, I'm a huge history buff. I love history. I took three Roman history classes in college, like year long. So they were like long ones and a couple of Greek ones. Okay. So, <laughs> so this is like the time period that I love. So I'm going to kind of explain it a little bit. So I'll use Roman terms. So they had a girdle, which, which is what you called it. It wasn't like the girdle that kind of holds everything in up here. It was just kind of like right here. It was just around the belt. And basically it had, it had like long strips of leather that went down. And the, the purpose it served was so that when you're fighting, you can move, right? You can sidestep, you can, you can lunge, you can do whatever you need to do. Because uh, later when you see like the knights and stuff, they had full plate armor. You know, some of the cultures had some kind of plating, but that was, the technology wasn't there, you know, so they couldn't, if they did that, they'd be like, they couldn't bend, right? Hinges weren't really around by then, but um, so they had this and what it did, they were thick strips, right? So if somebody took a sword and swiped at your legs, for the most part, it would absorb the impact of the sword and leather doesn't cut very easy, right? They used leather to block arrows. They used leather to, uh, you know, kind of stop some sword swings. It didn't stop it all the way, but this was kind of a happy medium. It was like a compromise, if you will, you know, you kind of compromise protection for mobility. You can move. Okay. So the loins girded about with truth, the girdle or, or the belt of truth allowed soldiers to fight unhindered, unhindered. The leather strips covered the groin and the, and the upper thigh area. Um, without having to use heavy plating. And it, what it does spiritually when we have the belt of truth, it allows us to see through the beguiling lies of the enemy. It allows us to, to see truth for what it is and, and allows revelation to take place because we know God is truth, right? It's a characteristic of God. Whereas if you don't have the belt of truth, and you're, you're exposed. You're exposed to lies. You're exposed to false doctrine. You're exposed to, to the, you know, you're like the, what the Bible talks about, the guys that kind of get whisked all over the place with the wind and, you know, they go listen to this guy preach and go, you know, listen to this guy preach and just whatever feels good in the moment, that's what we become without the belt of truth. So we have to have truth. Truth is so important in our lives, in our churches, and, and, and for every aspect of living. We have to have truth. Two, breastplate of righteousness. When we're born again, we literally take on the righteousness of God because our righteousness is as filthy rags when it comes to God, right? So we have to take on God's righteousness. Ephesians 5 and 1 talks about being followers of God or in other words, imitators of God. We are to imitate the righteousness of God. What that does, when you think about it, Roman terms, so the breastplate actually protected front and back. So it, it protected all vital organs. It was like a two-piece thing that you slipped over, kind of like the laser tag vest that you slip over your head and buckle it in. It was like that, okay? So it protected both sides. Um, it protects all vital organs. Righteousness allows us to walk, literally, in God's righteousness, and to treat people right, and to have morals, and to uh, fulfill the statutes of God. 
Feet shall with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, this one is one that I love, right? So back then, they didn't really use boots. They were like sandals that strapped way up here on your knee or whatever. Um, But the spiritual aspect, it gives you stability in every situation of life. Whatever the enemy throws at you, whatever life throws at you, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace allows you to walk through those situations with stability, knowing that God's going to take care of it. That's what it allows us to do. And there's a scripture, Isaiah 52 and 7, that says, uh, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publish peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publish salvation, uh, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. So again, it talks about like feet being shod with peace. That is so important because um, we can go through some scary times, right? We can go through some really scary situations, whether it be the enemy or whether it just be life, right? We can go through some very scary situations. So having this peace, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace allows us to walk even on bumpy trails with stability. The shield of faith, the Bible says above all, take the shield of faith, okay? In, in the, the Roman times, it covered pretty much your entire body. What's really cool about this, uh, again, this is just m- like kind of my opinion. Um, it's... It, you know, it doesn't go against anything in scripture, but what I found was really interesting about this particular piece of armor um, is, can I borrow a couple people? Got to get Manuel, Esteban, Roly, Jesse, Seth. Come on up. Pastor, you want to get in on this too? Yeah. So the shield, you guys stay here. The shield allows you to quench the fiery darts of the enemy, right? Think of them like, like arrows coming at you that are on fire, right? The shield allows you to stand firm and allow them to bounce off but not penetrate, okay? So faith is so important. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? So we have to have faith. One thing that I found extremely interesting, again, it's not unbiblical. It's just, you know, it's kind of a cool illustration. Um, do you guys know how the Romans used to fight Yeah, they were like this, right? There was this, this, this battle strategy called a phalanx, which means literally side by side. Like that's what the word means. So Romans, what they would do, everybody get real close and just make a straight line. Okay. It's like they would fight like this. You'd have guys in the front and they got a shield up. But what was amazing about the, the Roman shield is that it didn't just cover you. It covered part of the guy next to you. And then his shield covered this guy, and then his shield covered this guy. And then it just went and went and went. And what's amazing to that, what, you know, just kind of blew my mind, is that the armor of God is not just for us, right? The armor of God allows us to protect those that we're around. When we're standing like this in church, when we're side by side, we got the armor put on, we got the shield of faith. We're not just protecting myself, but I'm protecting Roly, and Roly is protecting Manuel, and it goes, it goes on and on. And it's such an amazing picture of the unity of Christ, the unity of the church. That's why the Bible says we're, we're a body of Christ, right? We're, we're in unity. And this just, I don't know, it was such a cool example that, you know, they would march into battle just side by side, shields out. And then these guys in the second row would have spears that sat, you know, pretty much on top of their shoulders. And they would just mow people over, <laughs> 
<laughs> but what was, what was so amazing is just that the shield covered their partner. The shield covered their brother. And it was like, you know, just like in the military today, you know, you got your brother's back. Well, I got your front, right? Like, I'm going to protect you, you know? And it's, it's just so amazing that um, as husbands uh, and as fathers, you can relate to that. I will soon relate to this. You know, you guys, a lot of you can relate to this. But as fathers, uh, the Bible talks about us being the heads of the household. You know, we, we have um, spiritual authority that comes with that. But again, that's territory God has given us. And it's our, it's our responsibility to hold the line, to defend, right? So when, when you draw the shield of faith, you can protect more than just yourself. You know, I can protect my wife. I can protect my baby. I can, I can protect my brothers in Christ. It's just such a beautiful example, such a beautiful example. You guys can have a seat. Thank you so much. And they would do this thing. When there were a lot of archers, the Romans would do this. In the English term, it was called a shield wall. And they would... Everybody would do that same thing, stand by side, side by side. Some of them would turn outwards and protect the outside. Some of them would turn up and protect the top and literally become a shell. So when these archers are firing across a battlefield, they can just walk behind all these shields and they're covered on every side. It's just, it's so, it's so beautiful. Again, the, you know, the Bible doesn't really talk about that too much, but you can ensue that because we're supposed to be in unity, we're supposed to be fighting together, we're supposed to have each other's backs, right? So the helmet of salvation, I'm going to move quick because I'm running out of time, I think. <laughs> the helmet of salvation. Yes, I am running out of time. Um, Helmet of salvation in, in the Ro the Roman helmet protected pretty much everything. It had frontlets. It, it had it came down and protected your cheeks. It uh, it wasn't like a full helm, but it protected pretty much everything. Um, and basically, this this particular spiritual aspect protects our mind, and it allows us to have the mind of Christ, as talked about in Philippians two and five, and to be kingdom minded, to be salvation minded, to see people as souls and as, as uh, you know, people that God loves. It, again, just allows us to have the mind of Christ and to be renewed all the time. Because the uh, uh, Romans, man, I love how I just quote all these, and I don't know where they're at, but if you ever don't believe me, just like go in a Bible app and just type in what I said and see if it comes up. If it doesn't, tell me, because I've probably said it multiple times. Um, but in Romans, it says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? What is 12.1? Thank you. Thank you, Romans 12.1. Um, but by the transforming of your mind, right? So this is, it's a process. When we're, when we're saved, when we go through uh, the Acts 2.38 message or we're born of the water and the spirit, like it's talked about in John when Jesus, or uh, John 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, this should be something that is constantly renewed. You know, we're constantly renewed in the spirit. We, it's not a one-time one done thing, right? So we're supposed to pray in the spirit. We're, we're, we're supposed to uh, witness and evangelize. And this is something that uh, just renews our mind every day and, and allows, us, allows our mind to be transformed because the way this world thinks is so twisted and so backwards. But this, the helmet of salvation, protects our mind from the, the twisted thinking of the world. The sword of the spirit, the word of God. 
uh, Hebrews 4 and 12, I don't know if I gave you this one, but Hebrews 4 and 12 talks about the word of God being quick and powerful, um, sharper than any two-edged sword, um, even to the dividing asunder of, of soul and spirit. Um, it, it just talks about how powerful the word of God is. And the word, when it's preached and when it's taught and when it's, uh, when it's verbally spoken, speaks life. And, and what it does is when it talks about it, it, it dividing asunder and it can pierce the very deepest parts of our spirit, you know, it causes the stony heart to melt away. It causes a, a heart of flesh to be put inside of us like the psalmist talks about. It's, it's such a powerful tool. And we see in Matthew 4, when Jesus is tempted by the enemy, what does he use? The word of God. He uses scripture to turn the enemy away, to tear him up left and right. And it's important to know the scripture because as again in Matthew 4, it shows the enemy knows the scripture too. So it is so important that we know scripture. In Psalms, uh, David says that word, if I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, hid, protected, it's deep in there, it's rooted in me so that when I need it, I can speak it. And when I'm going through a struggle or a trial or a temptation or whatever, it can hold me fast. It can, it can allow me to stand firm on the promises of God. And when the enemy does come, <laughs> it allows us to speak with authority that no, I'm not going to do this because this is what the scripture says. Thus saith the Lord, you know? And, and we can, uh, we can, that's our offensive weapon is the word of God. So when, when we're holding the line, when we're defensive, when we're in that stance, when we're ready, these are the pieces of armor and the sword that we have to take up and we have to maintain it. And we have to constantly uh, just have it on. We have to have it on at all times. You know, God didn't just give us this armor to fight in, but this should be our daily garments, our daily spiritual garments. Revelation sixteen fifteen. this was a scripture that I shared with um, the youth on Wednesday. This is Jesus talking. It says, behold, I come as a thief. So I'm coming unannounced, but I'm coming back. Blessed is he that watcheth, this was really interesting, and keepeth his garments. Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. To me, you know, just, just through prayer for this, to me, the armor of God are these garments that this scripture is talking about. That we should constantly be ready that we should constantly be clad in the armor of God because the armor is a lifestyle. It's not just something that we put on one day, take off another day. It's not something where we can just pick and choose what pieces we want. It's a lifestyle. Like I said earlier, they're the characteristics of God. Each of these pieces are true characteristics of a Christian life. These should be the cornerstones of every one of our lives is righteousness, truth, salvation. It, it, you know, in youth, I'm going to share this again. I know they already heard it, but in youth, um, I heard a song by uh, the gentleman named Andy Minio, and he's probably one of my, arti my favorite artists. Uh, he's a Christian artist, obviously, but um, 
there was a lyric in one of his songs. I, I remember the name of the song now. I didn't on Wednesday, but it's called, uh, I Know That's Right. That's the name of the song. And the opening lyric says, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. The song talks about people trying to live life to the fullest, you know, fill it with cars, with money, with relationships, with whatever, but still missing out on what life is truly about, right? He talks about how, uh, how each of us try so hard to fit in with the world around us, but yet forsake what God has called us to be. He talks about how important it is for us to live every day as if Jesus is coming back. If we stay ready, when that trump sounds, we're not rushing to get baptized. We're not rushing to get the Holy Ghost. If we live every day as if Jesus was going to come back today, then we're ready. We're ready for anything, not just for Jesus coming back, but we're ready for when the enemy comes in. We're ready for when life throws something at us. If we live every day as if Jesus was going to come back in the next moment, could you imagine the things that would happen in our churches? Could you imagine the, the power, the authority, the anointing? So, the, the armor is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be, when I see the clouds split, I don't want to be running like, Pastor, I need to get baptized. Like, come on, baptize me quick. I need to speak in tongues. I don't want to do that. And I don't want anybody to be in that boat. So we have to stay ready because Jesus is coming back and he's coming back soon and we better be ready. We clad in the armor of God and living the best that we can for Jesus Christ because he's coming. I want to close if Dean can help me out. <laughs> um, I wanted to give you uh, one last encouragement from PI. Brother Booker is my man. If you don't know Brother Booker, he is amazing. So he's been teaching our, uh, our class on the epistles, right? So we've been going through the letters that Paul wrote. Um, we went through Ephesians, and he talked about, he talked about the armor, um, and he talked about a lot of stuff, right? So there's this guy named Watchman Nee. If anybody's heard of him, he's, he's like a, a Christian author, um, but he's, is he from like China? Was it China? Or, it's, it's an Asian country, okay? Um, Watchman is a pretty cool name. Oh, his name's Watchman. Um, and he wrote this book called The Principles of, um, uh, it was like lay, sit, and stand or something like that. And, excuse me, he uh, talked about how we have to learn as Christians to lay down, to sit, and to stand. And it was really interesting because um, it, it talks, the scripture he gave for lay down was, um, it's in the Old Testament. It's when I lie down and when I rise up. Um, I can't remember it, but yeah, that's what it is. And then um, to sit was when uh, Paul writes, I believe it's in Ephesians where God calls us to sit in heavenly places. Um, and then stand was the scripture here when it talks about standing. Um, and, it, and really the basis of it was just how we trust God. With, we have to trust God with every part of our life so that no matter what stage of life we're in, 
God is still first. God will still win the victory. God is always there, ever present. And it, it was so powerful. But um, this is something that Brother Booker said, and I, I don't know, when he said it in PI, all I could do, I was blubbering like a baby, but um, it was so cool. He was, he was talking about the, the triumphal celebrations in you know, Roman times. So triumph was, uh, it doesn't just mean victory. Um, it was actually, it, it was a celebration. It, you know, it wasn't just, okay, we triumphed in battle, we won. But it was, it was, it was a party that Rome would throw anytime they won a war. So what would happen is, whenever the conquering general from the Roman army would come back, uh, Caesar, whoever the emperor was at that time, would call a triumph. And it was like a three-day festival. And what the, what the Roman, um, what the conquering general would do is uh, start a parade. And he would parade in on his chariot and he had his soldiers behind him. And then he had the enemy, the conquered king in shackles chained up behind them and then more soldiers. And it was like a procession. And he would march the defeated through the city and this was such a big celebration that whenever the emperor would, would call it, they would shut down schools. They would shut, nobody would go to work. Nobody would do anything. They would go to that celebration. They would go to the triumph for three days. And that's all they would do is celebrate the victory. What was so powerful that Brother Booker talked about was that when we think of that in a spiritual sense, God is the conquering general coming in to the city with the enemy behind him already defeated. And we would be the citizens that would leave work and come and see the wonderful victory. Even though we had no part in it, God won it for us. When he died on the cross, when he rose up again on the third day, he won it all. We didn't die on a cross. We didn't rise up on the third day. God did. Jesus did. But yet, he shares it with us. He shares the victory with us. So we're like the citizens celebrating, cheering, loving on the general. When God's the one who won the war, but we get to celebrate the final victory. We get to go to heaven. We get to enjoy the, the, even though it was such a traumatic experience for Jesus, he poured literal blood, sweat, and tears when he died on the cross. We didn't do that. We deserved it, but we didn't do it. And even though we had no part, we can't save ourselves. We can't. But because Jesus died on the cross, he's the conqueror. He's the one who won all the victory. He's the one who already went and defeated everything that we could ever come across. That's really what God was showing Isaiah when Isaiah saw him in the temple and saw the train fill the temple. God was showing him all the victories that he's won, winning, and already has won in the future. He was showing him everything. And now we have a responsibility to get suited up to put our boots on, to hold the line, 
to hold the line in our families, to hold the line in our church, to allow God to be God, and we'll back him up. So if we could all stand in closing, I hope that this was encouraging and lightening. I hope, I hope it kind of gives you a, a new understanding, a new way to think about, about the spiritual side, the spiritual applications of the, of the armor of God. And I just want to encourage you that this is a lifestyle choice. We, we have a responsibility. All, you know, pretty much all of us in here have experienced Acts 2.38 and have repented, have been baptized in Jesus' name, have received the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you have not, it is so important to grasp that message. If you haven't received the Holy Ghost, today is the day. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, today is the day. We need you. We want you to to enlist with us, right? This is a brotherhood. This is, this is a unity. This is a family. And I just want all of you to know that no matter what situation you're at in your life or wherever you will be, this church has got your back. We are brothers and sisters in the same army. Uh, the army that we're a part of is not against mere mortals. We're in a spiritual army. We're in the kingdom of God. And we're a family in the kingdom of God. So I, I wonder if we could all come down to the front. If we could pray collectively. If we could pray together. Just like in Acts 2 when they were in one mind and one accord. Can we, can we get to that point? where we can just be so filled with unity and bind together so close that no matter what comes, we can hold the line. No matter what comes, that, that we can protect each other, that we can hold each other, that and, and God would win the victory for us. God's already gone before us and won the victory. Now it's our responsibility to bind together as a unit, as an army, and to hold the line together. Jesus name. Lord, I pray right now that you would help us to to keep keep the armor of God on at all times. Lord, help us prepare us. Help us to be ready no matter what comes our way, whether it's life, whether it's the enemy, or when you're coming back, Jesus. I pray that you would help us to be ready. God, I ask that you would release unity I know this is a unified church, God. Keep us unified. Keep us as a family, Lord, because that's what it's about. You've called us to be the body of Christ, and that's what we want to be. Jesus, we trust you. We love you. We know that you'll take care, that you'll win the victory. And Jesus, we're here, God.